Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Uh, great to see you, Sean. How are you, yeah, man? I'm good, man. I, I'm sorry that we're talking under these difficult conditions with a, a pandemic grip in our country, but I'm, I'm glad to see your face, man. Good to talk to you. Yeah, good good to talk to you, too. Uh, yes, I mean, difficult conditions. Uh, we're going to talk about that uh, in more ways than one. Obviously, you got coronavirus, and obviously, progressives have lost and will be in the wilderness for another at least four years. I'm keeping it real. Um, so um, let's talk about that. Uh, so other than North Star and all your podcasts and all the things that you do, obviously, you're a huge part of the Bernie Sanders campaign, you big surrogate for him. Uh, I know because if you check mainstream uh, at all, uh, they were displeased with you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't um I filter a lot of that out and um, I'm I'm still heartbroken. Jink, I'm still heartbroken over the 2016 loss. Uh, like <laughs> in full transparency, I, I never got over it. And um, I know Bernie felt very strongly that he could have defeated Donald Trump in 2016. And that had everything to do with why he decided to run again is he felt, as I still feel, that he is the antithesis of Donald Trump. And so to have him out of this race, I am I'm heartbroken over it. And I think it's a it's a loss for our country. I feel, you know, I feel in some ways like we failed, Bernie. Um, we all fought hard. You know, I campaigned all over. I did almost 30 events in California and obviously we won California but it just wasn't enough. And I think Bernie didn't lose because of the pandemic, but the pandemic, I think, made it nearly impossible to do what he does well, which is large events and then grassroots, door-to-door community organizing. That's the bread and butter of his campaign. And so when all of a sudden Bernie can't do large events and his staff can't organize the way they were built to organize, it it pretty much ended all possibility of there being a path to victory outside of something flukish. And we live in a flukish time, obviously. And so I think a lot of people were holding out hope that there would be a fluke that would allow Bernie to come back. But in the end, I think he really canceled, you know, the rest of his campaign or suspended the campaign because he just couldn't bring himself to ask people to go out and vote in these conditions. And uh, I think it really broke his heart that people in Wisconsin were still forced to go out and vote. And I think that was really the straw that broke the camel's back for him. Yeah. So, look, there's so much to say there. Uh, First of all, I I think the media uh, made it harder than the pandemic to make a comeback. Once they say you're you're done— it's over, right? Yep. Uh, they just keep pounding that home. Uh, Bernie had a 17-point lead in Wisconsin uh, just about a month ago. 
Uh, and now, by the time he went into the election, he was down 27 points because the media told everybody, don't vote for Bernie, it's over. So yeah. it's nearly impossible to come back from that. I, I want to talk more about that in a second. And by the way, uh, Joe Biden, the media told you that because Joe Biden's more electable, except New York Times, as soon as Bernie's out of the race today, has a story from their top pollster saying, you know, uh, Biden's lead on Trump is weak and tenuous, and he's doing bad in the Midwestern states, and we and he might lose. Yeah, yes, that's I, what I, we were saying, Sean, wasn't it? <laughs> I looked at that data, and uh, the data is frightening because it actually has him winning a national poll, Biden, but we know that the election is not a national poll. It's 50 little elections. And so if you look at that New York Times data, it actually has Biden losing the Electoral College. And that's what we've always said, is that there are places where Bernie resonates well, Wisconsin, Michigan, and other places that the, the Clinton campaign all but abandoned in 2016. And... Um, I I hate to see where we are now because it feels like a, a sick case of deja vu in some ways. And this is exactly what we thought would happen if, if Biden was the nominee. I don't think it's impossible for Biden, but I have very little faith in in him as a candidate and in his campaign staff either. Like they've they they've lucked themselves into this position. They they hardly even campaigned in any of the states where he actually won on Super Tuesday. And as you said, he was really helped by a huge media boost, um, tens of millions of dollars worth of media coverage, nearly $100 million worth of media coverage that he received after he won South Carolina. So um, it's not impossible for Biden. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it. But as I look at the data, uh, he, he's in a hard he's in a hard spot. So uh, let's talk about what went wrong. Uh, so we've both talked about the media now. I, I think it's an overwhelming force. Um, and of course, no analysis of the race includes the most critical part, which is the media, because they'd have to write, oh, by the way, we're the ones who made all the difference. And we favored first Buttigieg and other establishment candidates, to be fair, not Biden necessarily from the start. But at the end, we all poured it on for Biden and against Bernie. So that... I don't even need to have that discussion. I've had that discussion a thousand times. But as you mentioned there, uh, Sean, the turning point was South Carolina. And I know how hard you guys worked uh, to try to win South Carolina. Um, and, and yet we were not able to reach older African-American voters. So what happened, man? Why, why couldn't we reach them? No, I'll, I'll talk about it. You know, I campaigned in South Carolina several times and Bernie actually had a brilliant on-the-ground staff staff in South Carolina that I thought was doing an amazing job. And several polls, even the week before uh, the week before South Carolina voted, had it down in the single digits, and we were super encouraged by it. I, I think there are two things that happened. One, the endorsement of J Congressman Jim Clyburn made all the difference, and all the exit polls actually showed that nearly 50% of the voters said the endorsement of Jim Clyburn was a deciding factor for them. So Clyburn had said that he wasn't going to make an endorsement during the primary, and several other candidates had really held his feet to the fire on that, 
all all the way back nearly a year ago, particularly Kamala Harris's campaign and said, hey, don't endorse Biden. You said you would give us all a fair shake. But then here we come uh, basically a week before South Carolina votes. And he is he has earned that standing in South Carolina such that when he makes an endorsement, a lot of older voters see him as their most trusted advisor. And Bernie himself and Bernie's team never believed there was any chance that Clyburn would endorse Bernie. And so they didn't they didn't even pursue it. But it made a huge difference. And then I think the bigger point is Barack Obama has so much currency and credibility, particularly with not just old black voters, but I would say black voters over 40. He is Barack Obama is beloved by black Democrats in the way that Donald Trump is beloved by conservative Republicans like he has. Barack Obama has nearly 100 percent approval rating in with older black Democrats. And the benefit that Joe Biden gets from that, from being his vice president for eight years, I just think we couldn't overstate it. It's uh, it's a huge it's a huge endorsement, even though Obama didn't say I'm endorsing this man out loud. It was it was clear in those final few weeks who Obama was backing and who he wasn't. And uh, what we know now and what we've even learned over these past few days is that behind the scenes, Obama was lobbying a lot of people to hurry up and get behind Joe Biden. And um, that matters. And, and as much as I would like to play sour grapes over that, Joe Biden was Barack Obama's vice president for eight years. He was they appear to have a super close relationship. And with with black voters being trusted by Barack Obama means something. And um, that was that's hard to that's hard to beat. And what you found in Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, it didn't matter so much when it came to South Carolina. It it was everything. So, Sean, look, the um, I I often pointed out that uh, Biden was not picked because he was great with African-Americans. He was picked by Obama to be VP because he was going to get the white vote, not the black. Yeah. Right. Now, at the same time, the best argument I ever heard for uh, why African-Americans should vote for Biden was late in the process. Somebody said, look, um, there's value in an older white man who did not mind taking orders from an accomplished, successful black man. And I thought that was powerful. And I was like, you know, I'm not sure I ever saw it that way. And um, and so, okay, that's something. Right. It is something we we could throw. It would be a mistake for us to throw that away, that for for eight years and some change, Joe Biden gladly, openly played second fiddle to Barack Obama. And in doing so, just gained a lot of trust really off of Obama's reputation. You know, Jesse Jackson said of Joe Biden that. Barack Obama really picked Joe Biden to be kind of the conservative white man on the ticket. And then when Joe Biden runs by himself, he's just kind of a moderate to conservative white man on the ticket. But Barack Obama really framed the way the nation saw Joe Biden. And it was 
it was almost impossible to overcome it. So, yeah, black voters see Joe Biden through what I would call Obama colored lenses like they see him. They see him through the lenses of a man that they trust. And um, and in South Carolina and other places, that was hard to overcome. And I'll close with this. In the states where Biden campaigned for a year, like Iowa, like New Hampshire, voters voters didn't come out for him. And I think had we had a more traditional, rigorous campaign from Joe Biden, that what we saw is the more he campaigned in some states, the worse he did. And in a weird way, I, I wonder if this pandemic helps Joe Biden because it seems to be the more he speaks and the more he campaigns, the less a lot of voters trust him. And so now he's in a place where uh, it's really difficult for him to campaign. Like in many states on Super Tuesday, he literally never even showed up and still won. And so in some way, a pandemic environment seems to play to Biden's favor in a way. It's, it's peculiar. Yeah, because uh, it allows him to hide. Uh, we got a great candidate. Um, okay, so, but Sean, last thing on this. Um, okay, uh, if you had to do it over again, do you think there's anything that we could have done differently so that we could have won? Yes. Or looking back on it, was it just given how the media went, given how Clyburn went, Obama, et cetera, that just the handwriting was on the wall? No, no, I, 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 I'm never of that belief, Jink. You know, I, I hardly have the nerve right now to do a full autopsy of the campaign, but I help run an organization called Real Justice, and we run district attorney's elections all over the country. And when we lose, we owe it to our donors and our backers to really interrogate and investigate why we lost that race I could go back and think of a hundred things I wish we had done differently. Um, even just the conversation that we were having on, while I think it was a tall mountain to climb for Bernie to ever have greater standing with black voters than Joe Biden, um, there are lots of strategies that I wish we would have had to reach black voters throughout the South, um, to reach black voters even in South Carolina. You know, in in retrospect, the way the way Bernie and the campaign ran was we put all of our eggs at first in those early states, in the in those baskets, if you will. And I wonder now, like that's the that's the traditional way of doing it. I wish we would have put more eggs in the Wisconsin basket, like I, you know, those states where we thought we probably had a good chance of winning in Washington state, for instance, I knew we would win Washington state. And I think we thought we had such an advantage there that I, I wonder if we go back, should we have spent more time in states like say Alaska, for instance, just this past week, Bernie lost Alaska by a, a couple of points. I, I thought we had a real chance of winning in Alaska in some ways, I'm wondering even if there's a lesson, this is this will sound crazy to our viewers, if there's a lesson to learn from what Mike Bloomberg tried to do in saying, you know what, I'm going to let you all fight over these first five states. I'm going to go ahead and open up 
complex operations all around the country. Obviously, that didn't work for him, but I think there there is a message there that you can crush it in those first five states. And Bernie did really, really well in those first five states outside of South Carolina. And it, it just wasn't enough. So, yeah, you know, I, I think I think in the end, it makes me wonder about Bernie's media strategy overall. Um, you know, there was, a, I think, a hate hate relationship there. Like Bernie never even pretended to get along with MSNBC or, or others, the New York Times. There's a part of me that just now goes back and wonders, like, should we have played that game? Um, you know, there are there are games that you do have to play. You know, I had a conversation with Bernie. This was almost nine months ago. And I said something like this to Bernie about how he was the type of guy that just didn't play these types of political games. And he corrected me. And he said, he said, Sean, I, I just want you to understand, I know politics really well. Like, I understand where I have to weave in and out. And I think I had even bought into the a, a caricature of Bernie that he was so anti-establishment that he wasn't willing to play those games. I wish we had encouraged him more to be a constant presence, even in places that mistreated him. Because what we see now is those places had a huge impact on the race. Yeah, Sean, it's really interesting that you say that because uh, the MSNBCs and the New York Times of the world for progressives, I think, are hopeless. Sure. Uh, if, if you fight them, they hate you more. If you tr play nice with them, they just crush you. Uh, they, they just despise us to with the, every fiber of, of their being. Uh, so now having said that... Um, I actually want to get your take on it because you just said maybe we should have played nice with them, which is really interesting because they did not play nice with you at all. Uh, and, and you know, the mainstream reaction to you in, in particular, Sean, I saw like their supporters, not necessarily the anchors or the New York Times reporters, but the folks who follow them, support them, et cetera, using the same slurs against you that the right wing uses. And so I, I was going to ask you, who do you think is a, a, a bigger opponent to progressives? And, and you know, and you've you're neck deep in this uh, in this battle, right? Uh, the establishment or the right wing? I, I'm I'm not sure I know the answer. I don't know. I don't know, man. Like I felt, you know, I felt the mistreatment and the sting and the ugliness from the mainstream media. You know, I I I try to block a lot of that negativity out, and so you probably saw them treat me even worse than I saw it myself. Like I try to isolate myself from a lot of that negativity and just focus and do the work. And I, I feel good about what I do, but it is hard uh, when, when you are relying on alternative media, progressive media, that, that all democratic voters don't necessarily watch or participate in Bernie never really got a fair shake from most mainstream media outlets. And like, I would go back all the way back to the New York Times endorsement process. Um, you know, I, I think maybe Bernie only got one vote out of 30 uh, that they cast for their endorsement. 
And he knew when he went there that he wasn't going to get it. And so he was. So those of us who love Bernie and if you watch that television special they had, he was kind of gruff and frustrated with them from the beginning. In the end, I am curious. I think I see Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez playing the game in a way that's that's different. Um, I, I, would, I wouldn't even say playing the game per se. I think she is trying to figure out how does she extend her base beyond the sliver of progressive America. And um, I don't know, man. You know, Bernie did get it from both sides. But on, on some level, conservative media wasn't nearly as harsh with Bernie as the mainstream media was. And um, I kept waiting for conservatives and even Trump to be harder on Bernie than they were. But I think that actually gets to... One of the things that we know as a strength about Bernie is that I think even a lot of conservatives trust him. And um, there was this there was this picture of Marco Rubio with his hand around his arm around Bernie's shoulder a couple months ago. And people were weirded out by it. And, um, you know, people said, like, for all the political disagreements that are in the Senate, People in the Senate, they trust Bernie. They they, they trust his integrity. And, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So the only people who don't trust him is mainstream media. Look, those guys are hopeless. I went to the, uh, you know, obviously I ran a race myself for about like three seconds. Uh, and I went to the L.A. Times endorsement meeting. And uh, it was not at all um, confrontational. It was a great meeting. We had really substantive intellectual discussions about policy. And at the end, uh, uh, after talking to me about all the details of policy and talking no policy with my opponent, uh, they endorsed my opponent because uh, they said they literally said Jake is right on the issues like money and politics, but he's too combative. We prefer civility. So they were never, ever going to endorse Bernie or any yeah. progressive. They're never going to do it. It's not a matter of working with them. It's a matter of in the long term beating them, which leads me to my last question, which is what are you doing next, Sean? Because you've got all these wonderful projects that you're working on, uh, what's your focus? Well, you know, I'm still I'm still mourning this loss, but I'm following Bernie's lead in a lot of ways. He's already back to work in the Senate. Uh, I'm I'm back to working full time at the North Star. I have a, a daily podcast that I do, and uh, even beyond that, we're looking at local elections around the country as well. So. There's always work to do, man, and we can only mourn, but for so long because there are battles that we have to keep fighting. But uh, I'm rooting for you, rooting for the Young Turks, man, and thanks for the opportunity for us to talk today. Yeah, absolutely. And everybody check out all the things that Sean's working on, because especially uh, getting those local DAs elected, because as I found out and we found out through the uh, my campaign, Bernie's campaign, et cetera, look, most important thing is building up uh, grassroots. So we, we already have 70% of the people under the age of 45 within the Democratic Party. The party is ours, but you got to get those DAs in place. You got to win local elections and take over the party. Yes, it's going to be a little bit slower, but folks like Sean King are doing amazing work to make that happen. So thanks for joining us, Sean. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Jane. Take care, man. All right, you too.